You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Plains Church in Castleton, North Dakota. This teaching is meant to encourage you in your faith, but not replace the preaching and accountability that should only come from your own local church. That said, we hope this sermon helps you know God more by simply listening to what he has to say in his word. In our culture today, it's easy to think of many great blessings. It wouldn't take long to compile a very long list in our lives that we deem a blessing. A few weeks ago, Pastor Cody mentioned that his greatest earthly blessing that he will ever receive is his family. And I would agree with that statement. The family is one of, if not the greatest earthly blessing that we will ever receive. We also see that the nuclear family is one of the most attacked concepts in our time today. The idea that a God-ordained marriage between one man and one woman until death do you part is a rare and hateful construct today. The attacks on the family are constant. For starters, the promotion and elevation of the same-sex couple that God calls an abomination. To the legalization of the murder of image bearers of God in the form of abortion that takes the lives of millions. The idea of a modern nuclear family is a radical idea. And these events don't just happen far away to come back to our homeland of North Dakota. Just recently, we see Fargo Public Schools taking a stand against the state who passed a law that would not allow school staff and faculty to withhold transgender status of families. The school has decided that it knows what is best for the families rather than their parents. The initial words of Fargo superintendent says, we're going to do what's right for our kids. This is not the only time we see the state government entities overstepping into the role of parents. The belief that pursuing your sin will make your life easier is a lot from the pit of hell. It is a deception of the enemy that lying is better than truth. To believe that idolatry is better than the worship of God. To believe that infidelity is better than the God-ordained institute of marriage. And that denying the creator that made us in his image and in his perfect will and say that you were made wrong so that it would be better for you to pursue your lifestyle of sin. And we believe that this will provide our kids with a more fulfilled life. That the adolescent suicide rate will lower as we go further from God's design. Friend, if you believe this, you are deceived. There is only blessing found in the Lord and in his purpose. One of those blessings that we will look at today in our psalm is the blessing of God-ordained marriage. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 128. The word of the Lord says this. Blessed is everyone who hears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like all the trees around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. 
peace be upon Israel. Now, if you notice at the top of your Bible, above Psalm 128, it says a song of ascent. Or in other translations, a song of decrees. When I was in college, the local ROTC made a habit of walking around campus and chanting what seemed like very early on a Saturday morning, especially when you are a freshman in college. But it seemed as though they would walk right underneath your dorm room window, chanting and yelling. The song of ascent are marching song for the people of Israel. They would sing these on their way to Jerusalem, and they would go there to worship three times a year. First, at the Feast of Passover, then at the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Sukkot of Tabernacles. When Pastor Adam preached a few months ago, he showed us that no matter where you are trying to get to Jerusalem from, you have to ascend, as it is built into the earthly Mount Zion. Some scholars say that there are times recorded that over a million people venture to Jerusalem to this feast. Today in our passage, my goal is to show you three parts of God's blessing. The first one we are going to look at is the prerequisite of God's blessing. Verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. I think if you really want it, you could take this verse and write an entire sermon on it. Probably some people have. There's a great deal to unpack in just a few words. We're going to start with the idea of blessing. The word blessing is something that we talk often about, but we don't really sink our teeth into what it is. Like when someone sneezes, you say, blessing. When someone compliments a coworker, you say, oh, we're so blessed to have them. Or if you are originating from the South, you use this word in just about any way possible. Bless you, bless me, bless your heart, bless my heart. The list goes on and on. But what does the biblical view of blessing mean? And specifically, what does it mean in our passage as to everyone who fears the Lord? There are many great ways that God blesses us today. We think of our job, our family, kids. We live around here in snow globes. But in this passage, the blessing of God that he's given to everyone who fears the Lord are some like these. From verse 2, we see a blessing from the Lord upon this man's labor. Verse 3, a fruitful wife. Also in verse 3, we see children. Verse 5, an eternity of biblical prosperity and blessing. And then verse 6, we see a long life. Each of these we will break down as we go along in the but first, what blessing is not? Blessing is not the wealth, health, or prosperity from God so that you can live your best life now. The biblical blessing of God absolutely crushes the lies of the prosperity gospel. In the prosperity gospel, God wants you rich and happy for your own good. In the Bible, we see God wants you justified and pursuing Him. And what does that result in? If you look at scripture, it looks like being beaten, stoned, whipped, shipwrecked, hung, and killed. All for the glory of God alone. I love this quote by John McCarthy who said, If you are living your best life, best life now, you're right. John 16.33 said, In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The greatest 
lasting of all, the salvation, the atonement for our sin. But God also graciously blesses us in more ways than we can imagine. Next, let's talk about the fear of the Lord. The idea of fearing the Lord, if you haven't heard it a great deal, it might catch you off guard. The Bible talks quite often of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 19.23, the, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Psalm 33, let all the earth fear the Lord. These are just a few passages touching on the idea of the fear of the Lord. If you're ever bored and you want to do a word study, the fear of the Lord in Scripture shows up around 186 times. This is not an uncommon topic for Scripture. But it is an uncommon topic in pulpits today, especially against a modern ideology that God expounds only in majorly on an aspect gratitude of love, leaving out all other attitudes. Now, this saying that God is love is absolutely true. God is the standard and the author of love. However, if that is all you have heard of God, then you are not making this place. Let me put this in an illustration. If I invite you over to my house and I say I'm going to make you a cheese pizza, you love cheese pizza, it's your favorite. When I pull this pizza out of the oven, you see that there's not just cheese on this pizza, there's also four different kinds of meat. There's onions and peppers and olives and tomatoes. And you would say, and rightly so, this is not a cheese pizza. But I would say, well, this cheese on it makes it a cheese pizza. But I completely miss all of the other toppings on this pizza just to focus on the cheese. My view of this pizza is quite wrong. It is true that God is love. But we cannot leave out of his other attributes. His omniscience, that he is all knowing, his immutability, that he never changes, his justice, his mercy, his omnipotence, for his being all powerful, his omnipresence, that he is present everywhere. His sovereignty, that he controls and ordains all things. His self-existence, righteousness, transcendence, holiness. If we leave these attributes out, then we get a false and incomplete view of God. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? John Piper gives a great analogy like this. If you are climbing Mount Everest and you see the gigantic storm coming, high winds, Hail, lightning, and you know you need to find shelter in the mountain, or it will take you completely off of it. You climb very quickly to a small cave in the mountain, where inside you are totally protected from the storm. And yet you see the beauty of it as it passes over you. Knowing that the power and might of the storm, if you were offered the cave and would refuse to enter the cave, and you decided to continue your climb, it would lead to your own destruction and peril. But you rejoice in the safety of the cave, and that it has saved you from the storm, and is protecting you, and will never give you into the storm. In this analogy, both the cave and the mountain are God's. Excuse me, the storm and the cave and the mountain are God's. The storm represents the just wrath of God. The just wrath of God is what we should be fearful of. If we understood our depravity rightly, then we would fear the just wrath of God. If we look at Luke 
chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, I tell you, friend, do not fear those who kill the body, and after have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you to whom you fear. Fear him who, after he has killed you, has authority to cast you into the hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It's natural to fear death, or to fear danger. But this is all that man can do is kill you. But a just God, who justly killed you, and justly sent and punished you from hell, that is cause of great fear. But this fear should cause us to worship. In Exodus, we have a great example of this. As Moses and the people of God are fleeing in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. You can turn in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 14, verse 30. As you are turning there, you see the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea. Walls of water on each side of them, the ground completely dry. You see the Egyptians coming after the people of God. And then as they're going through, God releases the water. And in verse 28 of this chapter, it says that not one Egyptian survived. If we take a look at verse 30, it says this. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power from the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. And if you look down at your Bibles, what does it say right after verse 31? The heading for chapter 15 is what? A song of Moses. You imagine the scene that they just witnessed. Moses and all the Israelites walking through the Red Sea. As you have made it to the other side, you see everywhere that there are scraps of chariots, arms, horses, and dead men dried up on the shore. And what do they do? They praise God. If we imagine that God, after the flood, who promised not to wipe out the entire earth again, is withholding his just wrath upon us all, and throughout scripture we see moments where that hand is pulled back. You look at Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to God. And what happens? They both drop dead. Sin against the holy God. Genesis 19, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. Exodus, we have the ten plagues of Egypt. One that we're going to look at is in 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. To get background, David just gathered the chosen men of Israel and are taking the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. If you look at verse 6, it says, And when they came to the threshing floor of Nathan, Uzzah put out his hand of darkness of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against us, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. I love this quote by R.C. Sproul. This is regarding this passage in 2 The presumptuous sin of Uzzah was that he presumed his hands were less polluted than the dirt. Friends, we do not understand the depth of our sin. In all these passages, a sin was done against a just and holy God, and the just punishment was given. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wage is something you are owed. 
you work a job, you are owed a wing. Because of our sin, we are owed death. We deserve death for our rebellion against a just and a holy God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect sacrifice for the imperfect people of God. On this earth, Jesus was tried, tempted, and tortured. Eventually, being killed on a cross. And on that cross, he bore the just wrath of God that we deserve upon ourselves. Christ became a curse to save us. He calls us to repent, to turn away from our sin, and believe in the finished work of Christ, who was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Christ offers this today. I pray that if you do not know the Lord, you will call out to him today. For salvation is a free gift of God, and it is by grace that no man may boast. Now, the second half of verse 1, who walks in his ways? These two passages go hand in hand. If you will fear the Lord, you will walk in his ways. If you are a good tree, you will bear good fruit. If you are justified, then you will do what God tells you. And if you don't, then you do not fear the Lord. This is why we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Spurgeon said that the heart is joined unto God, the feet will fall apart after us. If we are truly saved, then we will do what God commands. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, No one is born of God that makes a practice of sin. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Why this is evident, who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? So the prerequisite to being blessed is that you must fear the Lord. And he will show you fear the Lord by following the commands of God. Just like if you go to an amusement park, the prerequisite for riding rides is you have to be this tall. If you are not that tall, you will not be riding the ride. The prerequisite for fearing the Lord, or for blessing, that you must fear the Lord. And you will know this by your fruit. The second part of God's blessing is the providence of God's blessing. Take a look at verse 2. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it will be well with you. So if our individual meets the prerequisites of God's blessing, they fear the Lord. Now, they will eat of the labor of your hands, or God will bless your work, and you will be rewarded from it. Last year sometime, I was making some rice in our kitchen. My wife had this nice seasoning that she puts in the rice. I've made it a few times, but on this particular occasion, I must not have been paying close attention. It calls for pretty standard things, thyme, garlic powder, salt, pepper, all very distinguishable things. The last item in the recipe is paprika, which if you don't know, is bread. Unfortunately, this is very close to another red seasoning in our cabinet, cayenne pepper. <laughs> 
Needless to say, I ate the fruit of the labor of my hands that day, and it was quite spiteful. <laughs> the labor of my hands was mistaken. Thus, my fruit was bad. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. The man in this passage fears the Lord, and thus God has divine blessing upon all he does, bearing fruit either in this life or in the one to come. Still in verse 2, you shall be blessed and it will be well with you. Uh, commentary by Dr. Steve Lawson said this, if one fears and obeys, obeys God, his endeavor will be fruitful and rewarded, but only to the extent that God chooses to bless, which will be in this life or the world to come. Now, I want you to buy some caution before moving forward and not to fall into the wisdom or lack thereof of the early disciples. We look at John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. 1 through 3. It says this. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered them, It was not that this man had sinned for his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in the parents. There are magnificent amounts magnificent amounts of wealth that are incurred by other families. And there are others who own absolutely nothing and yet are faithful to the same. Wealth is not a definite sign of God's blessing or your faithfulness, nor is poverty a sign of disobedience. Though David was a wealthy king after God in heart, King Ahab in the Old Testament was more the first king doctor said he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all others before him. Take a look at verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful bond within your house. The wife in this passage is a woman who fears the Lord. We know this because it says she is fruitful, yet a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. This is our Proverbs 31 woman. Who is precious than jewels, who the Lord has blessed with children. However, the fruit of the vine is not solely about childbirth, because we know that not everyone is able to have children. But the fruit of the vine is our fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, faith, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generosity, self control. We know that children are a blessing. From the Lord. For just in the Psalm Bible's message was this Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, a fruit of the womb they reward. Like the arrows in the hand of a warrior, a children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. When Jess and I begin expecting our kids, everyone always tells them how much of a blessing the children are. And then, you're in a hospital and you are holding this beautiful baby. You are just in awe of the majesty of God that knit together this precious child in the womb of his mother. And you cannot help but rejoice God. Now, again, we need to be careful to not set childbearing as our standard of blessing. There are many great and faithful saints who are unable to have children. Again, not because of their sins. Or the sins of their parents, but that God may be glorified. As tough as a statement that was made here, who are struggling with infertility, 
Remember that God is sovereign over the circumstances in your life. Whether this is a temporary trial or the Lord's long-term plan, we are all the exact circumstance that God wills us to be. It is no point to barter the reason with God that you can have no children. As only God knows the reason why you are experiencing this trial, we don't understand why. But we know that God will be glorified. While I don't understand what those of you who struggle in this way are, I do, I do want you to know that as a church, we love you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who care for you and are here for you. And as believers, we are called to walk beside you, mourn with you, and continue to point you to Christ. There are also individuals who are called into a season for a lifetime singleness. This was a radical cultural idea at the time. The psalmist took it for granted that the people of God were married. This is often assumed with the Jewish people. Puritan writer John Trapp says this At this day, every Jew is bound to marry about 18 or before 20. Else, he is accounted as one who liveth in sin. So if you were not married at this time, you were looked upon as someone who was living in sin. And that's why you were not married. But if we look in the Bible, we see singleness as a calling from God for some individuals, including our Lord. This calling is again for the glory of God alone. I hope that in all your life circumstances, you can find comfort that in your trials, in a way that is beyond us, God has ordained this trial in our life to give him the most glory. Look back at verse 3. It says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. The illustration of the olive tree would have been very near and dear to the culture of the people at the time. The olive tree is prevalent all throughout the scriptures. The olive tree was used in biblical times for not just food, but the oil was extracted from the tree and used for anointing. We think of the amount of times the amount of olives is mentioned in scripture. The word Gethsemane is translated from the Greek to mean olive press. In the Garden of Gethsemane was where Jesus was betrayed. There's still an olive tree garden today. It still stands that its shoots were likely from the time of Christ. Olive trees do not come from seeds, but they come from shoots off of the main tree. And not only that, but biologically, they are the identical copies of the source tree. They are the new life from the old tree. If an olive tree is patiently cultivated, it will produce crops for many years. In the same way, kids are a copy from the source tree, from their parents. Parents are called to patiently cultivate and teach their children. Proverbs 22 6. Train up a child in the way they should go. Ever when he is old, he does not depart from it. Yet, we are called to faithfully shepherd and train our children to fear, love, and follow the Lord. But we are not the keeper of our children's salvation. That rolls along solely to God. And there is no amount of phenomenal parenting that I can do to save my children. It is God who saves the soul, not man. We are called to follow God's commands and be faithful stewards 
of what God has given us through Jehovah. Just as in the parable of the talents, we see the holy master will be back one day to see how we have used the talents that he's given us to bring praise and glory to his name. Look at verse 4. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. In school, they always tell you, if your teacher mentions something a couple of times, it's, it's important. Don't, do not escape the psalmist elevating the importance of fearing the Lord. There is no blessing apart from fear of the Lord. Our final point, the product of God's blessing. Look at verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. One commentator offers an alternative translation. And it goes something like this. The Lord bless you from Zion so that you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. So that you may see your children's children. In this translation, the emphasis is on the provisional blessing of the Lord. That if you are to be prosperous, it is only because of the Lord's blessing. If you live a long life, if you see your children's children, it is only by the grace of God. Again, this does not mean a short life is a sign of a lack of God's blessing. And a lack of prosperity is being not blessed by God. Rather, whether, whether you have a long life, you have a short life, you have large amounts of wealth, you have nothing. That it is all for the glory of God. We think of Philippians 4, verses 12 to 13. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this is mostly, probably the most misquoted verse of all time. The actual translation of this passage is not about endurance or power, that God is giving you strength to break barriers that you never thought possible. Rather, it is about being content for what God has provided you. If you have little, be thankful for God's provision. If you have lots, be thankful for God's provision. And use all things for the glory of God alone. We think of the parable again in Matthew 25. The men are each given different amounts of talent. One servant has five, another two, another one. The man with five talents and the servant with two talents stewarded their talents for the master's glory and were both told, Well done, good and faithful servant. While the servant with one talent was slothful, he hid his talent and would bear the just wrath of the master. God did not have more favor on the man with five talents than the man with two talents. Why? Because it was God who gave them the talents. It is God who generously gives for his own glory. He tells both servants, well done, good and faithful servant. Everything you have, whether great or small, is given to you by the Lord 
and for the world. We see this in 1 Corinthians 3, that one day we will be called to give an account of how we have stewarded the master's talent. Only what is built upon Christ will survive. Let us strive to use our talent that the Lord has given us for his glory alone. As I close this passage of Psalm, I want to give us a few application points. The first, fear the Lord. The blessing of God is only for those who are saved. In this life, we have something called common grace. This is something that a believer and a non-believer can enjoy life. We think of campfires, sunrise, waters, and cool lake. However, the blessing of God, the grace of God, is not come only in the fact that not many people will be saved. We see that in the word it says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and those who find it are many. For those who God has saved, he is lavish with grace on grace. You may have lots of great things in this life. Money, power, fame, fortune. But when you go to be with the Lord, whether you die or he returns, you will stand before him completely vulnerable. Every sin, every wicked thought, every evil deed will be brought to the light. You will stand before the creator of the universe totally exposed and account for every single sin. If you have money, fame, and power in this life, and you do not know Christ, you are broke. You can have the best that this world has to offer, the best of life, and yet if you are not saved by the blood of Christ, you are bankrupt. Your money is worthless. Your power and importance is meaningless. Your power, the power of the heavens, compared to the power of God, if you do not know Christ, you are. My friends, if you do not know the Lord, I encourage you to seek him today. Call out to him. Repent from your sin and believe in God who is rich in mercy and overflowing with grace. Your sin will be atoned and you will be given a new heart. Stop being an enemy of God. Repent and believe in the power of Christ who is the spotless lamb and bore our sins so that we might be reconciled to God. Repent and believe in the hope of Christ. Now our passage mentions three specific groups, men, women, and children. So I want to give application to these specific groups. First, women. Seek to be fruitful in all and everything that you do. May the Lord sanctify you in whatever you do. If you are a nurse, then show your patients the love and compassion of Christ. If you are a mom, then love your husband, love your children, especially when it is difficult. Seek to grow in your love and reliance on the Lord each and every day. To the men, it says you will eat the fruits of your labor of your hands. So may your labor always be in line with the will of the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for them. 
Lead your children in a way that points to the master. Dr. Lawson makes a very interesting point. As a pastor of many years, if a husband is thoughtful and has no desire to attend the church, then the family will follow in his footsteps and rarely go to church. If a husband loves the Lord, he faithfully attends the church and serves the body of Christ, the family is rarely passive. Lead your family well. If you are unmarried, use your time wisely. Do not toil your time with hobbies or games, but spend your time serving the body of Christ and making the great name of our Lord known. Children, honor your father and mother. Submit to their leading and know that even though your parents fail, they will fail. They love you dearly. Be faithful to encourage your parents and listen to their advice. My last application point to all the fellow saints, you too will give account for the talents that God has given you. I encourage you to run the race set before you with endurance. As someone who will give an account one day to the master. In a recent podcast, Vice President of Living Waters Ministry, Mark, Mark Spence, described his morning routine as this. He wakes up and he grabs his Bible so that the Word of God can be the first thing his eyes see when he wakes up. After that, he goes out to his patio and he salutes the sunrise and says, Reporting for duty. May each day we report to duty and the crops be on the front of our minds. May it cause us to be urgent and diligent with the time in our day. For each minute, each second, each moment of our And one day we will stand before our master and give him an account for each one. If you fear the Lord, you shall be blessed. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this sermon encourages you as you go about your week. If you're in Castleton or even the Fargo-Moorhead area, come check us out. Our website is harvestplainschurch.org. That's harvestplainschurch.org. Thanks again, and we hope you'll tune in next week.